This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. As I was thinking about release, there's often a lot of grief attached to it. We don't willingly let go of things often. But there's a beautiful side to release that when we let go, there is space for something new, something unimagined. And I was reflecting on my own life and how in some ways my life is a story of release and opening up to something more. I, I didn't realize that today, or not today, it's a nine-day feast of Navarati, which is honoring all the aspects of the Divine Mother. And I feel like I got an initiation into that honoring when I was very little. Um, my mother died when I was seven. And and that was really hard. That was, a, that was a letting go that for sure I did not want. And I know that many of you have had encounters with death and it never feels like yippee. It feels like crap. It feels like how do I go on from here? It's a really, really hard form of release. As we look at the trees outside and all the beautiful colors, the last hurrah before winter, when everything seems to be dead. And there is life that's happening. There is dreaming in the womb of the earth and growth is coming, but we don't see it. And the part of us that is attached to the physical feels bereft. It's hard to get past that. But we can get past it if we hold the knowing that as creators, we are always creating. There are seasons, but we are creating. It took me a long, long time to find anything good about my mother's death. Lots of therapy. <laughs> but today I know that I carry the energy of the mother. I bring it to everything that I do. And if my life had gone along the way we all wish it would, you know, with my mother there, I would have been attached to my mother, the physical woman. And I wouldn't have had the heart-opening, read-ripping experience that allowed so much love and compassion to come through. I know that is truth now. I didn't know it when it was happening. 
over the years, I've had lots of experiences. I'm not sure which ones I want to tell you about. <laughs> the juicy ones, yeah. When I was still a teenager, I entered the convent which was kind of a normal thing back in the East Coast if you grew up in a Catholic family. Um, and it, you know, I was releasing the possibility of a life of a family. And I thought that this was where I belonged and it may have, it may have been where I belonged then. I mean, it was where I belonged then. That was the era of sex, drugs, rock and roll, and I can guarantee you that if I hadn't been in the convent, I would have been doing all the wild things that they were doing out in California. <laughs> but instead, I was praying and chanting and <laughs> reading spiritual books and learning to be a teacher and you know, doing all those good things. But ultimately, it wasn't the place that I belonged. It was just maybe a place for safekeeping. Um, and when, when I left that, I was, I was a bit adrift. I had released a life that I knew and a Catholic tradition that was very much a part of me. And I, I didn't know what was next. And I was just kind of wandering around. You know, I, I had a job. I, you know, I was a responsible person, but I, I didn't really know where I was going. And I, I ended up in Houston because of a guy, and there I discovered a whole world of, of possibilities spiritually and therapy, which was good. And um, those were things that weren't open to me in the life that I knew, knew back on the East Coast. They, they just weren't on the menu. And so my, my life and my mind began to open up. I had gone there with a guy, and we were living together for a year. When I first got there, I had let go of teaching. I, I had convinced myself that I didn't want to do that anymore, what was really true was I wanted to be with this guy and I needed an excuse to quit my job. And so I convinced myself that, oh, I'm just done with teaching. Well, anybody who knows me knows I'll never be done with teaching. But, but I managed to convince myself then because I had like zero self-awareness. And, um, and so that was the excuse I needed and off we went to Houston, but then, I didn't have a job and I didn't have a career and I didn't know what to do and I thought you needed to have a resume in order to get a job and my sister-in-law was going to help me create a resume and I don't know what took her so long but it took her like a whole month to come up with something. I mean, what was there to say? I'd been a teacher, you know, <laughs> that, was, that was it. Um, but I had the belief that I couldn't get a job unless I had a resume. 
And I think that that's something that we have to look at. What are the beliefs that are holding us back? Now, that wasn't a major belief. That was a minor belief. But it's still, for a month, I, I didn't have a job because I was waiting on this resume. And here I was sitting in this um, apartment complex in Houston. It had a swimming pool. And I mean, I could have been actually doing things, enjoying Houston. But no, I was waiting for my resume, waiting for my life to begin. And it was all because of my beliefs that were so limited. And so finally, once I had my resume, I start looking in the paper, and I found a job that did not require a resume. <laughs> <laughs> so this job was um, in an engineering recruiting office, and I went from being just a temporary um, office person to becoming an engineering recruiter and actually making a whole bunch of money, which was astonishing to me, because as a teacher with nine years' experience, I was making $11,000, and that in nine months I made like $60,000. It was just like, I, I, was, I was so blown out that this was even possible. And then the guy, meanwhile, had gone on to Thailand because of a job opportunity. And when he realized it was going to be more than three months, it was going to be more like nine months, he said, you want to come? I said, sure. So I let that prosperous job go, and off I went for an adventure. And uh, three months into this adventure over there, I found out that he had another woman in Bangkok that um, he was seeing. So. That was the end of that relationship, I, at least I thought. So we broke up and I came back to Houston. So I had to let that go and that was really, really hard. But at least I had some standards, you know, that was... <laughs> and so I came back to Houston and then I got to do the thing I'd never gotten to do. In high school I had one boyfriend for a few months and that was it. I just, I never had figured out the friend thing and the boyfriend thing was even harder, so I'd never done that. And um, in Houston, I actually had a number of boyfriends all at the same time, and it was so much fun. <laughs> and, and so that was, you know, that, again, that was a space that opened up that I had no idea that that was on the menu. And, and it was the 80s, you know, before, we realized that there were STDs and things like that, so <laughs> I was lucky. <laughs> but anyway, I let that all go because this guy realized um, that he was missing a good thing. <laughs> and so he wanted to get back together, and now he was in Australia, and, and so he was ready for commitment, and I moved over there with him, and we got married and had a baby there, and it was, it was a wonderful adventure and really fun. And then when it was done, we came back to Houston. And as I said, Houston was, it was a wonderful place for me. I loved it. I had, and I, we had another daughter, and it was my place that I discovered the wider realm of spirit spirituality. It was a place where I had a huge family connection with um, my kids and their families, and it, I was just having so much fun 
We had parties at our house a lot. I just had a lot of community. And when my husband got the opportunity to move to Bend for that gas pipeline that they were putting in, he wanted it because he hated being in the office. And he never took a shine to Houston. So it was only fair, but it was so hard. And I was, I was just starting to have a chance at a business there. And I was really liking it. And letting go of Houston was not easy for me. And Bend was a complete unknown. I didn't know what it was like. Um, we had found a wonderful private school for our children down there that I really liked the philosophy of education. So I came up here, but I wasn't enthused about it. But when I got here, bit by bit, I began to find community. It took a while. Truthfully, it did. But it is so my place on earth. And, and so I had, I had to be willing to do that. And so anyway, so we had a couple of years that we lived in Bend, and then he finished that job. And he wanted to go back out into the field and do more things like that. And he realized that it wasn't going to work to be married because that isn't what I wanted. I'd had plenty of moving around when I was a kid, and I wanted roots, and I was just starting to have a business here. And I was really excited about it, even though it wasn't flourishing by any means. It felt like a calling, something that, that I was supposed to be doing. And I guarantee you I was, even though I couldn't really see all the evidence of it then. And so we ended up ending our marriage, but it was really, really hard. It was really hard to let go. I did love him. And I also had the belief that you're not supposed to get divorced. I went to the coast with a friend and I found this starfish. And see the way that it, it has this little loop on the end? I was, I was journaling about it afterwards and I was asking about what, what this gift represented to me. And it said that because I had been, before I, t before I kept it, I was debating, is it still alive? Does it have a chance at life? Because if it did, I was going to throw it back in the water. And, and I decided that no, it really didn't. And the journaling said that, you know, even a little bit of life is so precious to us that we cling to it. But a little bit of life is not the same as being fully alive. And that was the truth about my marriage. That marriage was no longer fully alive, but there was a little bit of life. A couple of years later, I was remarried and I was at the beach. And I was walking along and I'd been finding all these sand dollars and I, it was on the way home the way back from my walk, and I figured everything's gone now, and I found this. And it's, it has been with me ever since. 
because it's such a graphic of what we're willing to settle for and what is possible. But we have to let go of the smaller possibilities in order to have the greater ones. This marriage that felt so wonderful ended after 17 years. And so I was back to that belief system. Am I a failure? Because now I've been divorced twice. What's wrong with me? And Nico, would you show that, or whoever's doing the slides, would you show that picture? So this is a print that hangs in my office. And this is something that I used to help me with that second divorce. There's a bridge, and you're walking over the bridge, and all you can see is brambles. When something ends, and it isn't, it isn't what you would have preferred, you don't know what's next. You can't really see it. It looks murky and muddy and full of weeds, and oh, where am I going? But there's something on the other side of those bushes. You don't know what it is, and so each one of us gets to fill in the blank. What is on the other side of that? Well, it could be you walk through the bushes and you fall off a cliff and you die, if you want to tell yourself that story. But why would you fill in the blank with that? So what I did is, when I was a little kid, I, I grew up in New York, and there's a place called Coney Island, and I have this very, very fuzzy memory of it. Like, I can kind of see a boardwalk, and I know there's an ocean, and I think there might be a Ferris wheel. I don't know if that's exactly true, but that's what's the picture in my head. And so that is what is on the other side of those weeds. <laughs> and so every time I looked at it and I thought, all right, this is where I am, all I can see is weeds, but I know that I'm going through those weeds and on the other side of this is Coney Island. And it is gonna be fun. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened for me. That's exactly what happened. The husband I have now, Jeff, is a wonderful playmate. And we, we really have fun together. This community, which at that time, because I had to do this publicly, of course, I had just started as the minister in January and the marriage ended in June. So, um, but it was just you know really small at that point. And look at how it's flourished. It, it's really been a wonderful experience, but I couldn't have been open to that if I had been insisting on a story that painted me as a victim. If I had been insisting on a story of misery. If I had been holding grief close to my chest and I wasn't going to let it go because I was identified with it. 
And I'm not saying you shouldn't grieve, and I'm not saying there's a timeline for your grief. You have to decide what it is. But please don't make it forever. Because the people that we have to let go of in our lives, for whatever reason, we're not totally letting go of them. We let go of the form. But the essence, the being, is one with who we are. And so we can never let go of that. Sometimes it's not letting go of a person, it's letting go of other ideas. The first time I wrote a book, this is my first book, and I was really proud of it, and it's long. And it, it took me two years to write it. I spent every day on Friday while the kids were at school writing my book for two years. And so this was published, and then it's many years later, and I was taking an abundance class, or teaching it, but it was somebody else had designed it. And we had to talk about, well, what was something we really wanted? And I really wanted to write another book. But I didn't have all day Friday for two years. And so I had this belief that that's how it's done, or at least how it's done by me. And so I couldn't write a book. And so then in the class, they said, OK, well, whatever your limitation is, you have to flip that around. So my limitation was I didn't have time. And I flipped it around as I only get 10 minutes a day to write. So, you know, it's hard to argue that you don't have 10 minutes. Um, so that's what I did. So this book, Love Letters from the Mother, where I really owned the mother energy, came out of that. And each one is just a little story, a little love letter. Here's one. I know you're scared. You've told me you feel like you're losing your grip, like you're walking a tightrope, using all your energy to avoid what seems like the inevitable misstep. Dearest one, I want you to trust me. I want you to do something that may seem scary. I promise you that you'll be okay. I want you to let go. Just fall. Step right off that tightrope and fall. Because when you do, you'll discover that you are falling into me. You'll fall right into the arms and the breast of your mother. I am like the softest, coziest feather bed. I will catch you. I will always catch you. You can spread out upon me and move freely and safely. No matter where you go, my expanse will encompass you. Just trust. Step off your narrow, frightful path. I am here, your landing spot, the mother. It would not have been possible without that first initiation as a child and letting go of my belief. You heard Lawrence talk a few weeks ago about his journey with Lorraine and how 
they decided to end their marriage and how hard that was for him to let go. And he also had to face that, I've been divorced this many times, what's wrong with me? And, and yet, when he let that go, a space opened up. And now he is so excited about his new adventure. Victor is gonna share a song with us in a little bit. And he had an experience where he had fallen in love and he was so happy and, and, and then she just dropped him for no reason, without explanation. And he went into this, such grief. But in this grief, he turned to his music and just like my heart opened up, his heart opened up. And this beautiful music started pouring out. What was it, like 60 songs and, or 20 songs in 60 days? Something like, it was ridiculous, the amount of music that came out of him. And on November 4th, he's having an album release party for this amazing series of songs. Something that he could not have conceived if he hadn't had that heartbreak. We call release a bad thing, but it's not. It's an opening door. I want to invite Brian to come up and join me, if you would, because Brian has a beautiful story about letting go of everything and where it has led him, and I, I want you to be able to hear that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so some people already know my story a little bit. I'm Back in 2012, I had a meeting, they call it a darshan, with my spiritual teacher, Sri 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 Swami Purna Maharaj. Uh, that's better, now you can see him. So I put him, his picture up there. Um, he is an amazing being, um, a great master from the high Himalayas an immortal being, someone who kind of, they can choose when they want to release the body, so. And um, it was interesting because although, uh, you know, the conversation was only three minutes long, and in it he said to me, Brian, now, you know, you've done, you've done a lot with your spiritual practice, now it's time for you to let go. Let go of your old life as I was running a financial planning firm at the time, had been doing that for 10 years. I'd been successful, had trained, and you know, all of my education was to sort of achieve a very comfortable life and then be able to retire early. <laughs> and, and, and one conversation with them, three minutes, it was all done, everything. Everything that I had worked for. So, and that was 11 years ago. And then he said, now set out on the road and share these spiritual gatherings with others. Uh, share the energy with others. And I simply said, yes, of course, Guruji. Yes, of course. And, you know, you talk, talk about letting go. It was kind of letting go, but for me, <laughs> that was a joy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a problem. I did not grieve at all, actually. Um, I was actually kind of excited, like, oh, wow, what's going to happen with this? And so I went home, 
at that time Austin, Texas, and had an apartment there. Um, so I invited my, f my friend, who was a homeless guy. Uh, I lived underneath a bridge, and sometimes it would get cold in Austin at night. So I invited him over, and he uh, came to my little home, my little boat, and I said, I said to him, look around at my apartment. You can have anything you want. I'm leaving all of this. <laughs> I'm going to get a van, put a bed in the van, and set off and carry just a few things. What do you want? And he looked around, and he, he looked at <laughs> me, to the, uh, uh, the guitar. I had a really nice guitar from Spain, like a, an acoustic guitar, classical guitar. He said, well, what are you going to do with that? I said, it's yours. Take it. It's yours. I, I, I'm letting go of everything. And that actually was a valuable thing, because I had spent also years training classical guitar as well. So I gave that to him, and he was so happy he could play it. You know, because he was a really good guitarist. <laughs> and then I bought a van, put a bed in the van, you know, and pretty much sold or gave away the rest of my stuff. And then just set off and been traveling kind of ever since and sharing uh, these gatherings, That one of the gatherings being uh, after the service today, um, and sharing the presence and the energy. Um, the teachings for me, spiritual teachings, come in that space of letting go. If, if, you, if you understand what I mean, like when you let go of something, inwardly, like, like some sort of attachment, there's a more space for spiritual energy to arise in you. And so I've become kind of somewhat hollow. And in that way, the energy kind of comes through, let's say, for instance, the Divine Mother, Durga or Kali or whatever, kind of comes through and can be shared with people in that space. If I hadn't let go, there would be no space for spiritual evolution or spiritual power or energy to come through to even share. So that's kind of the result of letting go. And that's only become more and more powerful as I let go of more and more things, not just physically, but also mentally, belief systems and the ideas about how life should look and how opinions of people and judgments of people and all that. It's a sort of continuing process of letting go. So that's kind of been my whole my whole path, really. And, and honestly, like, see the orange that I wear? That means renunciation. It's the fire, the burning of all desires and the fire of the divine so that something new can be born out of that. So... Jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Someone made that joke to me before, too. Wow, you just come out of prison? <laughs> yeah, the prisoner of the mind. Yeah, exactly. No, you can keep that. Yeah. Yeah, so. Exactly. It is, and I think that's, yeah. that's so much. I love that. Is Kali and Durga, are they the same? Um, Kali is the, like the, kind of the, the next stage. She's yeah. the one that destroys the ego, whereas you know, Durga is the one that sort of kills demons, but the ego is considered as the ultimate demon, meaning the feeling of separation. So when you invoke Kali, she goes to the core of who you think you are and sort of helps you to release your identity, your core identity of I am, I am something, or I am, I am existent even. Yeah. And so she's considered as the most powerful goddess in the final stage of the, the most powerful goddess of all. So that's Kali, yeah. 
and as we go around and we see all the <coughs> Halloween decorations out, there's a lot of skulls, right? <laughs> Colleague carries a, a garland of skulls around her because she's really, as you said, that's what she's about. So, so this is a time of year. In the Celtic tradition, they say it's, it's when the veil is thinned and the, the other world is accessible to us. And that other world is not, not just ghosts, it's, it's a world of expansive possibility. And it, that's what it, I hear when you talk about that. You, you, st you stepped into this space of generosity first, but then even beyond that, uh, of just being. And in regards to the whole skull thing, and it said like the final fear is a fear of death. So, you know, the skull representing death. And so if you can actually overcome your fear of death, you can reach very incredible spiritual states or you can go into the depths of your being. And that's, you know, it's a kind of a rare person that achieves that. And that's why it's actually helpful in circumstances to face death itself. You know, but that's, that's like the ultimate um, school is when you face death, whatever, whatever is dying, but especially the body, and you really sort of accept that completely, that some spiritual thing can kind of arise out of that, like the phoenix. Or one would, one would say like when you're, you die and, and you're reborn into spirit, that would be something like that. And the physical, facing physical death is really helpful in that way. So you can actually look at it as an opportunity, funny enough. Kali would say that. Teachings of Jesus too, that whole idea, he, he says something about unless, unless this body die, it mm. can't be born again. Mm. And people were confused at the time, but, but think about what would have happened. How would we have heard about those teachings of Jesus if he hadn't died? That was the whole thing that flipped it into another <coughs> realm and allowed his energy to move from being this human man, Jesus, to the Christ, that energy that is available to all of us. So it, it's really, this whole idea of release is very powerful, and this is the season to embrace it and to think about what are you ready to release? What are you arguing with life about? That life is saying, you know, maybe it's a closed door and you keep trying to pound your way through it, Maybe it's something that has been yanked from you. Maybe it's something that you're, you've been hearing that voice in your head saying, you know, and you've been ignoring it. What is it? This is your time. And I would strongly encourage you to stay, if you possibly can, for this um, session with Awakening Your Heart. This is somebody who isn't just, he didn't just read it in a book. He's walking it. And, and when you get around people like that, you can feel the energy and you can gain something from it. It's very powerful. And now I look like a pumpkin. <laughs> so thank you for inviting me to talk. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm always going to think of you as a pumpkin now. <laughs> All right, and so now we get to invite Victor up to just share one of his beautiful songs. And we picked this song because it had to do with not just loss, but then creating space from that. So Victor, come on up. <laughs> 